Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. And joining us today is our friend and Heritage Foundation Research Associate for Family, Life, and Religion here at the Heritage Foundation, Emma Waters. Emma, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. All right, guys, it finally happened after 649 touchdowns, 23 seasons, uh, two teams. I'm going to cry, Kristen. <laughs> and one premature retirement announcement <laughs> and a divorce. Um, Tom Brady has announced his retirement for good, maybe. <laughs> yes, I, I think so. Yeah. I think this is official. So he, he posted a video on his Twitter mm-hmm. on Wednesday morning. He got a little emotional. He was sitting on a beach. And he said, this is it. This is real. I'm hanging it up. Yeah. It was It was definitely a little anticlimactic. But, I mean, given that he already made the announcement a year ago, I, I totally respected his I'm gracefully bowing out of this. <laughs> yeah. No, I did like how he did it because he said, I gave my super emotional, you know, long goodbye last year. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to get right to the point. I'm retiring. It's official. And right away, I texted my my family chat. It's like, guys, he's retiring. My brother-in-law was like, well, he said that last year. It's like, no, no, no. I think it's for real this time. <laughs> but as a, as a major Tom Brady fan, like this, I grew up watching Tom Brady, my whole mm. family. It's uh, like football is almost second. It's like we talk about Tom Brady. Oh, and then I guess, yeah, there's like the game of football. And we talk about like other players and stuff a little bit, too. But pretty much it's just Tom Brady. So I'm like, what is this going to look like yeah. for the world of football? It's almost, no Tom Brady. It's almost like equivalent to the queen, you know, like people got so used to her being around. And now it's like, who are we going to talk about? Who's going to stir up the drama and, and complete all the That's touchdown the question. <laughs> who will stir up the drama if not Tom Brady? Yeah. <laughs> Emma, I know you're... You're not a huge football fan. Was this any sort of surprise to you? Any reaction from from those that aren't super football fans? You know, yes. Yeah, speaking as the I know nothing about sports person <laughs> for all of you listeners out there, I admit that my uh, news announcement actually came not from a sports channel, but from the Babylon Bee, <laughs> um, our favorite satirical, um, you know, news service. And they were mm-hmm. like, the the headline was Tom Brady is sure glad he gave up his family for this oh, <laughs> right after the ooh. crushing loss that oh, they had. Man. And I was like, oh snap, they went there. Oh, yeah, that's bold. But I did not see also, that like he's they're not wrong. They're like not wrong. he's retiring after he was kind of humiliated on the field. After it seems like giving up his marriage and, you know, clearly divorce is very bad for children and not prioritizing mm-hmm. the well-being of his children. So I, I am cr- incredibly sympathetic to all the fans, but also it's a pretty hilarious uh, <laughs> fake news story. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, that one hurts. Yeah. Wow. Well, we could we could spend a while talking about Tom Brady. At least I could. But Kristen, we have a full show. Go ahead. Let us know what we have queued up. Yeah, for sure. Up on today's Problematic Women, there is a strange new statue in New York City. It's a nod to the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But would RBG like the statue? We weigh in. Plus, a pro-life man who was targeted by the FBI and DOJ has been found not guilty of the charges brought against him. And a college in Washington, D.C. has a new vending machine on campus supplying students not with snacks or drinks, but the morning after pill. We explain the implications. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. 
If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. There is a new statue in New York City, and it's gaining quite a bit of national attention. Last week, an eight-foot-tall gold statue was unveiled on top of a New York State courthouse in New York City. It stands alongside several other old statues that are uh, really classically designed. But this new statue is designed in the modern style. All the other statues are men, but this new statue is a woman. Her hair is braided back into horns, and she doesn't have arms or legs. Instead, her legs are almost like roots or the base of the statue is like roots going down and her arms there there aren't arms it almost looks like she has branches or like flowing hair coming out from her sides the artist behind the statue is Shazia Sikander she is a 54 year old who was born in Pakistan but she's been living in America for about 30 years now Um, and she actually designed um, two statues that are pretty much identical there's the one that is on top of um, the courthouse in New York City. And then there's one that's in Madison Square Park that's 18 feet tall and has this little like large hoop skirt structure around it. And in her statement about the piece, she said that the statue, that it's a nod to the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. uh, And it's also a way to advocate for abortion. So she said, about this statue that the recent focus of reproductive rights in the U.S. after the Supreme Court overturned the landmark 1973 decision that guaranteed the quote-unquote constitutional right to abortion in the U.S., comes to the forefront. So she's talking about why she designed the statue in the way that she did. She had the issue of abortion on her mind. And she goes on to say that women have been collectively fighting for their right to their own bodies over generations. And, uh, you know, she aimed in the statue, she says, to really capture that spirit and that grit of, I guess, women fighting to have a right for their own bodies. And her nod to RBG is included in the way that she designed the neck of the statue. There's a collar that is in the style of um, the collars that Ginsburg wore. So this statue, it is just blew up on Twitter this week. People had a lot of strong opinions. When you all saw it, what were your first thoughts? Initially, when I saw it, I really thought it was a prop from a movie like The Hunger Games. It was not something that I've ever seen before. And um, I think what's really interesting about the courthouse itself is you have really great statues that Mm -hmm. are paying tribute to really great thinkers like Confucius and, I mean, Moses, um, which, you know, RBG was Jewish. He was obviously a big person in the Old Testament. So amazing for a statue that was supposed to represent her, for it to be up on that, that courthouse. The concern for me was it really didn't resemble or remind me in any way, shape, or form of her or her legacy. So I I just thought that the artist missed the mark on this one. And I mean, yeah, it looks demonic. It looks something out out of uh, a cinematography. Well, and that's what so many people were saying. They were really quick to say, this looks like a demon. It looks demonic. And uh, the main thing people pointed to with that was the horns that, you know, even in the book of Revelations, like you look at the descriptions of, the, the evil creatures, the evil beings, they, most of them have horns. That that image of, of horns has classically been used uh, at, to depict 
demonic figure. So it was fascinating that that was her choice. And maybe she's being a lot more honest than we're giving her credit for, right? Mm. Like if this is a tribute to abortion, which really is our generation's human sacrifice, and the statue that she created looks like a demonic pagan idol, right? Like a bronze calf in the Old Testament that people would have um, had human sacrifices for. It seems very fitting, but very fitting in all the most evil and corrupt ways that we should be working to get rid of in our society, right? Mm -hmm. Not put on the very top of our buildings. And I thought what was so interesting, too, was that in order to erect the statue, they took another down, right? Mm -hmm. So they removed this beautiful statue of Teddy Roosevelt, who was surrounded um, by other historical figures from early American life, who really represented the sort of spirit of innovation and adventure and courage um, and just like upright citizenship that I think Americans really love and value. And instead, we have this pagan idol um, that doesn't even look feminine, right? Like, I I think some of my favorite Twitter comments were people were just like, is this supposed to be a woman? And should I be complimented? Because there's nothing about this that makes me think like, wow, a woman, that's incredible. Like, Mm -hmm. not at all. Well, and that was one of my thoughts is because it was designed as a way uh, supposedly to honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her legacy and a nod to her, I kind of wondered, wow, what would she think if she saw this? And would she actually feel honored? Because it's quite a sexually evocative mm-hmm. uh, statue. The There's a lot of curvage and the breasts are pre- very pronounced. And this is the only quote unquote female statue that is up on top of this uh, building. And I just sort of wonder, like, is that really how we want to portray the strength of femininity is a statue that quite frankly looks quite sexual. Yeah, very sexual and very masculine. So it, it, it kind of looks like she's wearing armor in some ways. Mm. And then, yeah, and, and it's not a very good statue, right? Like on the one hand, I think a lot of people have said it's just ugly. Mm-hmm. And on the other, it's just not good art, right? Like there's nothing about it that like, yeah, that inspires a particular vision of a person. It really just confuses the idea of is this a man? Is this a woman? Are we looking at a warrior? Are we looking at... Yeah, it it just it doesn't I don't think get the point across at all. Mm -hmm. I think that plays right into what you were saying before, though. Like, is it a man? Is it a woman? Look at how we're redefining genders right now and how we're trying to. I mean, we talked about this on an earlier episode. AP Style Guide doesn't want us referring to abortion as what it really is. So if we can sanitize the language and sanitize statues, even I mean, we've seen that with people pulling statues down around the country and taking away, you know, patriotic figures like Theodore Roosevelt and um, replacing them with these really ambiguous looking figures that's the signal and the the way that, you know, the left is trying to move our country. So maybe you're right. She was being honest. She was being intentional. And she's trying to reshape the land to reshape the culture. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I even think about the statue that was recently unveiled in Atlanta of Dr. Martin Luther King and his wife. It was supposed to be very honoring of him. And if you look at the picture of what that statue was supposed to be portraying is very sweet. It's a hug between him um, and his wife. is very sweet. The artist didn't quite get it right, and there's a lot of very negative comments about that statue because it looks very strange, and a lot of people said it looked quite sexual in a weird way. And I just wonder, I, I think there's a place for modern art. I really do. I think there, modern art can be really fun. It, I like it in parks. Honestly, it can be cool, especially when you're seeing modern art that's interactive, things, pieces that kids can climb on. But I think there's a place for modern art and there's a place where it just shouldn't be. 
And in this case, with this with this new statue that was designed and put on top of this courthouse, I think this is a place where they maybe should have gone a little bit more traditional and stayed away from trying to be so kind of bold and out there and gaudy. Right. Well, because when you you create art, you're asking the question of what is this going to elicit in the person who's looking at it? And what am I hoping to inspire in them? And same with the MLK statue in Atlanta. Same with this one. I think it's just inspired a lot of confusion. Yeah. Um, So outrage and disappointment, but just confusion. And that seems very obvious in our modern age that there is a lot of that. But we're not actually showing people we're not helping them understand their life or the way of looking at the world better, right? We're just kind of adding to the confusion and the noise. And we're like, yeah, you feel really chaotic and lost. Here's another giant object to reinforce <laughs> right. that everywhere you go. Um, and that just seems to be missing the point about what art is supposed to be in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, speaking of confusion and crazy things happening in our world, we are going to be um, discussing a story in just a moment uh, that has to do with actually a little bit of a a positive victory for the pro-life movement. But first, I want to tell you all about one of my favorite ways to get the news and keep up with the issues that I care about. So if you're anything like me, you probably enjoy searching interesting topics on YouTube or just simply being entertained. But sometimes it can be really hard to know what information is well-researched and trustworthy on YouTube. And that is where the Daily Signal YouTube channel comes in. We're constantly posting new videos that are designed to keep you up to date on the news that you care about and give you the data and the facts succinctly. The Daily Signal YouTube channel features policy explainer videos, documentaries, entertaining clips from podcast interviews, and much, much more. So go ahead and pull out your phone and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel today so that you can stay informed and never miss out on the news that matters. The pro-life movement had a pretty significant win this week. A jury has found that Mark Houck was not guilty of the federal charges brought against him by President Joe Biden's Department of Justice. Our colleague and friend of the show, Mary Margaret Olihan, she's been reporting on this story for months. Back in the fall, the Justice Department sent 20-plus heavily armed federal agents with shields and long guns to arrest Houck at his home. His children were there. They watched as their father was arrested. So, Why was he arrested? Well, the DOJ charged Houck with two counts of violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. That's also known as the FACE Act for short. He was charged after an incident outside a Pennsylvania abortion clinic. Houck allegedly pushed a pro-abortion activist who was allegedly antagonizing Houck's son. But on Monday, a jury acquitted Houck of both of the DOJ charges. Thomas More Society Executive Vice President and Head of Litigation Peter Breen, he was part of the legal team that defended Houck, and he said that this was just a case of the DOJ trying to intimidate the pro-life community. So do you all think that that's a fair assessment? Was this simply just an intimidation tactic with the ultimate game of silencing pro-lifers and frightening them? Without a doubt. In the midst of all of this happening, you have over 100 attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers, churches, and other facilities that the Biden administration, DOJ, FBI included, willingly overlooked or simply said was not that big of a deal. 
And then you have the entrance here of Hauk, who um, the charges initially brought against him were dropped by the man. So like the man who alleged that this happened, he initially dropped the charges and said he wasn't going to press um, anything. And then about a year later is when they brought the case to him by like violently arresting him in front of his kids. Mm -hmm. There was nothing about this that was timely that had been pushed in court or that seemed to have any real standing um, except for the fact that it was a way to seemingly intimidate pro-lifers. Mm-hmm. Shortly after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Right. I think the timing is, is really significant that it came back up and that we saw this play out when it did. Yeah. I mean, not only that, but they used 25 to 30 armed FBI agents to go into this man's home. Mm-hmm. They They had absolutely nothing to worry about other than the fact that he, you know, it was claimed that he pushed a, a person that was escorting someone into um, the abortion clinic. And and really, they had no grounds to think that he was violent other than that. It's it's really disheartening. But I think it really shows, again, that, you know, the double standard of the Biden administration is ever more prevalent than ever. Yeah. Um, and it's scary, I think, to me, because of the weaponization of the DOJ, that's basically being shown through this demonstration of, and use of the FBI. Um, they continue to get away with the use of FBI agents or specific laws like the FACE Act to intimidate everyday Americans, whether it be parents at school board hearings, legislatures that are passing voter ID laws in their states, or in this case, uh, a father that is literally just carrying out his fundamental right to express his religious beliefs near uh, an abortion facility. And that's one of the things that we've really been trying to do, both at the Heritage Foundation and here at the Daily Signal, is, okay, we need to see the law applied equally and fairly. So we're going to try and hold the FBI, the DOJ accountable, and we're going to call them out when they're doing things like targeting a father, a pro-life father, and simply ignoring the more than 100 attacks, including firebombings that have happened to pro-life centers. You know, we're asking the questions and we're trying to get to the bottom of, okay, why hasn't there been movement on these really important things? And why are you all wasting your time? And money. And money. (laughs) Our money. Taxpayer Taxpayer money. (laughs) To highlight that point. Yeah. (laughs) On these issues that are are clearly just political. Um, It was really sweet, though, I will say. So Mark Halleck, he gave a few comments outside the courthouse Um, right after he was acquitted. he, He pled not guilty to all of his charges. Um, and he was indeed acquitted. So this is what he had to say shortly, um, shortly after he walked out of the courthouse. I'm just uh, so grateful for the uh, the men that he surrounded me. It's Thomas Moore Society, the best lawyer in the city of Philadelphia. My family. My, I'm, I'm George Bailey today. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think that's so sweet. Of course. Um, the reference to George Bailey is the It's a Wonderful Life main character in that film. Uh, but I I think, and I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on this, but I feel like this story is going to have the opposite effect of what the Biden administration intended. And it's actually going to be really positive fuel for the pro-life movement to say, no, you, you can't shut us up. We're not just going to go quietly in, into the night that we have – a purpose and a mission. We're locked in on that mission, which is saving lives, caring for both unborn babies and their moms. And nothing is going to deter us from that. That's absolutely right. 
and I and I think you're seeing this even on the federal level. So in January, the House um, GOP-led House passed two resolutions: one condemning attacks against pro-life centers, but also calling the Biden administration to actually hold these far-left um, radical groups who are attacking them accountable. And so you're already seeing that movement on the federal level, um, and so it's being reinforced. And as Republicans gain more power, and like you said, as pro-life organizations become more emboldened as they switch from the judicial to the legislative side, I think you're going to see it, um, yeah, really just gain a lot of momentum. And the the, the court case with Mark Houck, um was incredibly encouraging. But on the other hand, we shouldn't be surprised, right? Like we knew that he was in the right. Um, nothing came out in this that even tarnished his reputation or character in the mm-hmm. slightest. And this is how our system is supposed to work. Um, it's supposed to acquit people um, when they're unfairly accused um, and to set them right and give them like affirm the reputation that they have. Um, so I think this has worked exactly as it should. And we shouldn't be surprised. And the fact that we maybe are surprised and overly relieved just shows how bad it's gotten and how politicized so many parts of our what should be um, very bipartisan uh, mm. rulings have gotten. Oh, and so I think true. that's what uh, Mark's attorney was saying as well, is it should never have gotten to this point. In that same video, he explains that we won because we were right. And I think that the pro-life movement, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, they you're right. There was momentum there. There was now a, a flip the script moment, if you will, of we're, you know, we're starting to win. This fight is just beginning and we have a ways to go. And we know that we can't rest on our laurels just because of this Supreme Court case. And we're starting to see the pro-life movement really put their money with their, where their mouth is and stand up for the right to life. Yeah. And perhaps this is a little too cringy, but (laughs) as soon as I heard his story, um, gosh, all of those months ago, it made me think of the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying and the soldiers come to arrest him, right? And they have swords and clubs and they come with torches at night with a ton of men. And Jesus is praying and he stands up and he's like, why why have you come to arrest me with swords Mm -hmm. and clubs? He was like, am I a violent person? He was like, I've taught every day in the temple, right? Like Mark was out there every day praying and you didn't come to arrest me, but you've chosen this time to arrest Mm -hmm. me. He was like, I I don't think I'm a violent criminal, but okay. And and it seems like the exact same thing that happened here with Mark at his home with his family. Um, And yet, like, right, like Christ is victorious and vindicated. And so is Mark. Yeah. Wow. Preach, Emma. I love it. (laughs) All right. Well, we have another story that is is quite fascinating Uh, in a way similar. I feel like we're we're riding this theme um, today of kind of pregnancy and life and birth and all of these issues, the pro-life movement. But Kristen, there is an interesting development here at a college in Washington, D.C. They have a new vending machine. Yes, that's right. Right in our backyard, George Washington University announced that students can now purchase emergency contraception pills or morning after pills on campus via a new vending machine that they installed. The machine itself uh, sells everything from tampons to Advil and is selling Plan B for only $25, which... I didn't know this, but is half the price of that which Plan B is sold in, in regular pharmacies. The George Washington University student that led this effort told the Washington Post that the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade inspired efforts to install the machine and joked about the idea that you could get Doritos and Plan B at the same time, which mm. is super funny, right? Like, not really. 
Over 1,500 students have used the vending machine and have actually reported that they love how discreet machines are and um, are actually calling for them now to be installed in their dormitories. So other universities have also installed similar machines. Um, Boston University actually has a Plan B vending machine and is selling the pill for as low as $7.25. Again, $50 is the market value of this. Guys, what are your thoughts on on the vending machine as a whole and, and just, you know, the normalization of Plan B? So the first thought that I had was, okay, who who is funding this? Who's backing it? Because if the pills are so much cheaper. Now, we're hearing reports that the university is is not actually using tuition dollars to fund this. I hope that that is true, that maybe there's an outside donor or someone um, who's paying for this vending machine and subsidizing the cost. So hopefully tuition dollars are not going towards this. But then I, I think you have to step back and look at the bigger picture, that when you think about the reason, right, why universities exist, their original purpose was to teach young people how to think critically, how to write well, how to be good speakers, articulate big ideas. And now we have an atmosphere on college campuses where sex is is not only happening, it's so casual, it's so expected. And that almost now is like part of a fabric of, of going to college is like, oh, well, just part of your experience is going to be sleeping around. So you're probably going to at some point need the morning after pill. Um, and then you think just even larger scale about morality in America and how far we have fallen that sex has become so casual um, that Again, it's it's just thought of as something of, oh, of course, this is a part of of our life in America. And, you know, sex is no longer saved for marriage, by and large, um, that you have uh, something that is so sacred as that covenant uh, of of marriage and sex, which sex is meant to take place within the context of marriage. And you have something that sacred that now essentially is being treated um, just like a bag of Doritos would be. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And what's so fascinating is clearly this push has come in a post-Row America where college students, um, and the ones particularly talked about here, really wanted to offer a quote-unquote alternative to students now that abortion may not be as widely available. But there's another uh, level of controversy surrounding the Plan B morning after pill that's actually developed in the last month or so. So the way that Plan B works is you take it within about 72 hours of having unprotected sex if you're concerned. And it can do one of three things. First is it can stop the um, ovary from being released. Second, it could stop the sperm from fertilizing the ovary. And third, and most controversially, it can stop um, a fertilized egg from implanting on your uh, uterine wall or in the womb. And so for people not familiar with the pro-life movement, um, the definition of life for pro-lifers is the moment that an egg is fertilized. So a sperm, an egg, life is created then, right? It's alive. Um, But what you see a lot of abortion advocates doing is actually saying that life doesn't begin until that fertilized egg actually implants on the uterine wall and becomes a viable pregnant 
pregnancy. But there is a really big difference between an embryo being created and a viable pregnancy. Because like in IVF, for example, life begins when that embryo is created, not when it actually takes root in the woman's body. Um, and because of this, a lot of people have pushed back against Plan B, saying that it actually is a form of passive abortion. Because if you're prohibiting an embryo that is already like a formed life from taking root as a pregnancy, this is a lot further than just stopping egg and sperm from, you know, like fertilizing each other. Such weird language. But the really interesting part is in December, the FDA changed its ruling based on major Plan B companies saying, hey, you should reexamine this. Maybe we shouldn't say that it stops implantation. So after literally decades of the FDA saying that the third thing could occur in December 2022, they changed their ruling and they were like, actually, Plan B doesn't stop the embryo from implanting. So this is nothing like abortion at all. But it's really problematic because this is like going against like literally a decade of research. And so if you Google it, Every single organization, um, be it like a CNN story or like a fertility website, will tell you that the third is true, except for the FDA, who now says, just kidding, we're not stopping the implantation of an embryo. This has nothing to do with abortion at all, Mm. even though it clearly does. Um, So this is just like an even bigger issue where this is distinct from abortion. It's not a chemical abortion pill, but it can radically affect the uh, likelihood of a pregnancy that has already taken place which is a pretty big moral distinction that we're now lying to college students about by mm-hmm. telling them that this is not an abortion, this has nothing to do with life, um, when in reality it can and it does. I think that's what has been so prevalent in the last few months of the pro-life movement, too, is making abortion a bit more mainstream, making Plan B a bit more mainstream, and contraceptives in general more mainstream. Um, And it's interesting that you bring up the FDA, because something that I found um, from 2011, actually, was... um, a similar issue became prevalent during the Obama administration when um, his HHS secretary decided to overrule the FDA's decision um, to make Plan B available to those under 17. His HHS secretary actually ruled that they didn't want that to be available because it just was not common sense. Um, He specifically said, I think it is important for us to make sure that we apply some common sense to various rules when it comes to over-the-counter medicine. As a father of two girls, um, Kathleen, his HHS secretary, made the decision um, because she was not confident that a 10-year-old or 11-year-old going into the drugstore should be able, alongside bubblegum or batteries, to be able to buy medication that potentially, if not used properly, could end up having an adverse effect, which is exactly the problem in this case. The difference, I mean, 17 and 18, that's a year-long difference. That's nothing. I mean, we have Obama saying, written raising the same concerns, it, it just again, the casualness that we are taking nowadays and the ability to, you know, switch the science when convenient for our party is just absolutely ridiculous. Mm, That's so powerful. The bubblegum and plan B imagery right there, right? right? (laughs) Yeah. Treating it so, so casually. Well, I think another concern is what does this mean in the issue of rape, and mm. we we know that this tragically happens on college campuses. Um, Rain.org reports that 13% of students, undergrad and graduate, um, about 13% will experience rape or sexual assault at some point, you know, during their time in school. And for someone to be able to, you know, for for guys essentially to be able to slip this pill. Mm have really easy access to the pills and likely be able to slip it unknowingly 
to a partner is really disturbing. And of course, we all hope and pray that that doesn't happen. But just knowing human nature and and society, that just makes it that much easier for a boyfriend or an abuser to be able to gain access to these drugs. Well, and to your point, the student that was advocating to have Plan B available in the dorms was a man who will not be taking it, um, but would like easy access to be able to slip it to whoever he has over Mm -hmm. who could potentially get pregnant. Um, But also like Every every Plan B um, website will say this, but it's not meant to be used like birth control, right? It's meant to be, I mean, a Plan B. You should use it rarely if you're going to use it, et cetera, et cetera. But there is another problem is the more readily available you make something, the more people are just going to rely on the afterthought effect. And so this is what happened with abortion. Um, Robert Rector here at Heritage released a fascinating study where he showed that out-of-wedlock births actually got higher after abortion was legalized because people were less careful. Mm -hmm. And so if you make Plan B readily available, then people are going to be less careful with birth control and take this powerful drug a lot more that we know messes not only with their ovulation, but their fertility and can have pretty intense side effects. Um, so long term, if you're taking these even just a couple of times a year, we have or at least I, I haven't read studies, but like we can imagine that that's going to really mess up the consistency of their cycles, their ability to get pregnant in the future. But even just like causing nausea or swelling mm. or just like really bad outcomes that aren't actually good for women. Right. But like it's probably how it'll be used. And it just normalizes things um, like chemical abortion pills. Mm-hmm. So like today it might be Plan B on campus, but like. In three years, what's to stop them from having chemical abortion distributed? Because the same rationale was used. They were like, oh, well, CVS is too far away for students to walk to. It's across the street. Um, And so we have to provide it on campus. But now that CVS is able to provide chemical abortion pills, um, even with a telehealth um, prescription, what's to say in a year or two they're not going to find a way to provide it on campuses? And that becomes a huge issue. Yeah, the needle keeps moving. Emma, thank you so much for joining us today, Uh, but stay tuned because next up is uh, crowning our problematic woman of the week. Thanks, Emma. Always enjoy having you on. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Are you looking for an easy and entertaining way to keep up with the news you care about? The Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels offer interviews with policy experts on the most critical issues and debates America is facing today as well as short explainer videos that break down complex issues and documentaries that dive deep into the ways policy actually impacts people. Go ahead and subscribe to both the Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels today. You can search for either on your YouTube app or visit youtube.com slash heritagefoundation and youtube.com slash dailysignal. Now it is that time once again, our favorite time of the week here on Problematic Women. It is time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And the crown goes to Lydia Booth. Lydia Booth is 11 years old. She's from Mississippi, and she just won a major legal battle for religious freedom. So two years ago, Lydia was just in third grade, and it was the middle of the pandemic, And she wore a mask to school that said, Jesus loves me. And she was told that she couldn't wear the mask 
because of what it said. But the school didn't actually have any sort of policy that prevented students from wearing religious clothing um, like that mask. So long story short, Lydia and her parents, they filed a lawsuit against the school district. uh, And Alliance Defending Freedom represented Lydia and her family saying, wait, no, she, this is her religious right. It's her religious freedom. It's her also freedom of speech to be able to wear an article of clothing. It's not offensive. It doesn't have inappropriate language on it. It just says, Jesus loves me. Well, finally, they, um, the, the school district reached an agreement, a settlement with Lydia and her family and Alliance Defending Freedom. And so, God forbid another pandemic happens, but if it does, Lydia is free to wear her Jesus Loves Me mask to school. But this obviously is so much bigger than just a child being allowed to wear a mask to school. This has to do with our First Amendment rights to freedom of speech, freedom of expression. And we've already seen that God has been taken out of the public schools in so many ways. But as a student, you still have the right to express your religious views in school and wear something like a mask that says Jesus loves me. And I just think back to, man, when I was in third grade, would I have been bold enough to be like, yes, I I am going to stand up for my rights in this way. I'm like, I don't, I hope I would have been, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They were like teaching us at the time to stand up to bullies, but mm. not, that do, That wasn't the government. Like I didn't say government is a bully. Yeah. Or, I mean, even teachers, teachers were our advocates. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of worries me too that um, someone was so offended by this because, you know, Jesus loves me. Whatever religion you are, you could say something from your religion and I wouldn't be offended because Mm -hmm. that's what you believe and I have what I believe. And it's scary that, you know, a teacher or whoever um, was offended enough by this mask to report it and Mm -hmm. make the the child feel upset about it. That's just very discouraging and and disheartening. So I'm really, Lydia, all respect to her because Mm -hmm. she knows her her beliefs and, you know, hopefully in the future we'll see her making some big moves. (laughs) I feel like we will. I was at a conference a couple years ago where she actually spoke and I was just blown away because she's this little fiery girl that is very well spoken and just a sweetheart, you know, Southern accent from Mississippi, but knows where she stands, knows what she believes and is willing to fight for it, which is so admirable at any age, but pretty shocking and unbelievable to be so young. So huge congrats to Lydia for being our problematic woman of the week. But with that, that's going to be it for today's edition. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need and love your support in the podcast world. So if you have never left us a rating and review, please do so, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Spotify, wherever you like to listen. We love hearing your feedback and Truly, it makes a world of difference for us. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.